Let's pray. Father, as we're um, confronted with Christ in his lowest moment, perhaps, but he also gives eyes to see that it is in many ways his highest moment, just as that criminal there with him on the day saw it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a sermon about how we might see Jesus um, and perhaps about how he might see us. In the passage from Luke, that last gospel reading that I read, there, um, well, there's one way of seeing Jesus that really dominates. It stands out. It's the way that the Jewish rulers, the Roman soldiers and the first criminal saw Jesus. They saw him as a failed pretender. The rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Jesus was on that cross because he had said things and done things that gave the impression that he thought he was God's Messiah, the chosen one. He'd ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey while his disciples sang, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And when asked by the Jewish authorities at his trial whether he was the Messiah, whether he was the Son of God, he said, If I tell you, you will not believe me. Which is hardly a ringing denial of it and might be thought to harbour the idea that he is the Son of God, the Messiah. All were agreed in the end that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah and that that claim was false. A Messiah is a Hebrew word. It's the same as the Greek word Christ. And both these words mean the same thing, anointed one. In ancient Israel, if a prophet of God came to you with a flask of oil and poured some on your head, saying, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his people? That meant that you became the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Messiah or Christ, the chosen one, God's choice to be king over his kingdom and people. Now the first and fundamental job of the Lord's Messiah, the chosen and anointed king, was to save, to save God's people, uh, to meet and defeat marauding enemies, to defend and establish Israel's borders, to allow all the Israelites to live in peace. And Jesus, up there on a cross, dying, is clearly not able to do that. And so he was clearly so the logic goes, not the Messiah. And hence the taunt shared by the rulers, the soldiers, and one of the criminals. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Supposed to be in the business of saving, better start with yourself. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Where are your big claims to big power now? You can't even save yourself. Some Messiah, some king you are. But there is another way to see Jesus that we find in this passage. It's a minority report. It's the alternate view expressed by just one person here. This unexpected view is that despite all appearances, Jesus is the Messiah. He is God's 
chosen king. This is the view of the other criminal crucified with Jesus. And the first sign that this second criminal thinks differently about the situation is in verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him, that is, the first criminal, and said, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. You're about to face your maker, says criminal 2 to criminal 1. Do you really want to go to that meeting having just heaped insults on an innocent man, unjustly punished? So the second criminal believes Jesus has done nothing amiss, nothing wrong or out of place. And this means in turn that he thinks that Jesus' claims to be the Messiah are not wrong. They're not out of place. And so this other criminal appeals to Jesus as you might appeal to someone who can help you, who can save you. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me means remember to do something for me. Remember me so you can help me when you have the power to do so. When will Jesus have any power to help this man? Well, not in this life, it would seem. And yet this other criminal, he still has hope. He expected Jesus, despite the fact that he seems to be on his last legs, has a future, even a future kingdom. A kingdom not of this world, but of a coming world, God's kingdom. Now, how does Jesus respond to this appeal? Remember me. Does he say, mate, (laughs) you've got this all wrong. It turns out I wasn't the Messiah after all. I made a big mistake. No, Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now you might have some questions. What is this paradise? Where is it? And will they really go there together today? Let me just say paradise comes from a Persian word for a garden, a place of beauty and rest, like the Garden of Eden. I take it that the paradise that Jesus is talking about is a place, well, a bit like what he calls Abraham's bosom when he tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which we had here some weeks ago. A place of peace, of rest, of contentment for those whom God has saved. How this place relates to the resurrection of the dead and the new heavens and the new earth is not made explicit, but the point of Jesus' promise is to give hope to give comfort, to give assurance to this criminal as he appealed to Jesus, dying. At the point of death, at the point of death for this man, who believes he is punished justly, Jesus says, you are going where the saints go. Your faith has saved you. Your trust in me, your turning to me and appealing to me is enough. Enough to guarantee to you entry into paradise, the paradise of God. So there are two ways to see Jesus. Firstly, as someone whose claims to be God's chosen one are false. Or secondly, someone who, despite appearances, 
really was God's chosen one, which is true. This is the question. Christians have always said that the resurrection of Christ is the evidence for view two, is the vindication of this other criminal. That the tomb was found empty, that Jesus was seen alive, that the despondent disciples were filled with energy and joy and conviction, that the proclamation about Jesus' resurrection was believed by others, that there was a life, a power at work in the church amongst those early believers, and that Christians called upon Jesus as a living Lord and that they were answered in that call. Their guilt and fear and shame went away and hope and joy and love appeared in their hearts, in their lives. Jesus thus proved in that way, gave evidence that he had come into a kingdom, that he hadn't simply expired and been lost to his disciples and lost to history. Jesus had come into a kingdom and that kingdom was making its mark on earth in the hearts and lives of those who knew him in life and in new life and who told others. Now, there are still, of course, plenty of doubters, plenty of mockers, people for whom Jesus makes no sense, people for whom Jesus simply could not have been who he claimed to be, God's chosen one. Jesus certainly regarded this doubt and mockery as a kind of blindness, a kind of ignorance. In verse 34 he said of those who participated in this crucifixion, they don't know what they are doing. But to those who suffered this blindness and ignorance, Jesus sought God's mercy for them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. But amongst the mockers and the doubters and the onlookers, there were believers, and there are believers. We who have said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Those of us who have seen in the death of Jesus, not the sad end of a deluded man, but the great act of God as saviour. This is the last verses of our second reading from the epistle. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There's the answer to the question, why didn't Jesus save himself? Why didn't he come down from the cross? Because it was through his blood shed on the cross that he was making peace. It was exactly by dying that he was acting as the king who would save his people. Now the truth that is hidden perhaps from many will be made known. What that second criminal somehow saw in Jesus, what Christians have come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the king of God's kingdom, this truth will stand forth in all its goodness and glory wonder in the end. In the meantime, our task is to live in the light of the fact that Jesus is 
God's Messiah. He is the chosen one. Now, what might that look like? Well, Advent is about to start next week, and uh, there are, if you come in the morning, Advent candles which are lit lit one a week, and those candles are themed. And the themes, if I remember rightly, are hope, peace, joy, and love. And in some ways, they are what we do to live in the light of Jesus being God's Messiah, the Chosen One. We can see hope, peace, joy and love as the tasks and disciplines of those who confess Christ as King. And we are to have hope, we are to rejoice, we are to know peace and to make peace. And in this we share a fellowship with that other criminal. You know, he had a short time left to him, that fellow, but in that short time he could do these things. He could have hope. Jesus made him a promise, today you'll be with me in paradise, and he could hope in that promise, as we can. He could rejoice. He could take joy in the salvation that he had been promised. He could know peace. He could die with that assurance that he was accepted by God. In that we can share the same fellowship with him. To live as Christ, with Christ as King is to have hope, to rejoice, to know peace, and finally to love. We are to love, to love God, to love one another, to love our neighbours, to love even our enemies. And in the next little while, Advent sermons are going to tread this path, looking at hope, looking at peace, looking at joy and love as the disciplines of those who know Christ to be the King, to be God's Messiah. So I hope you'll come and I hope you'll take up these tasks, the tasks that come to us because Christ is King, to have hope, to rejoice, to be at peace. And to love. Let's pray. Our Father, give us the same eyes to see that this other criminal had, that even despite appearances and despite the, the opinion of all around, he appealed to Christ as Christ, as the King of your kingdom, and found Jesus promise of being with him in paradise. So Lord, we do pray that as we also are able to see Christ as he is, that we would know hope, joy and peace and that we would live lives of love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.